This episode of The Ready State is sponsored by Territory Foods. Territory Foods is a personalized nutrition company, locally crafted and delivered at scale. That sounds really good, but the real deal is, it's hard for me to sometimes get my act together to be, have lunch organized or make, make breakfast the right way. There's so much going on in Territory I don't know. They just pick up the slack. They make me look better than I am. We Starrettes eat territory meals probably four out of five days a week. And it is wonderful that we know that we have an easy and healthy, um, very simple meal we can eat every day for lunch. Yeah. You know, we're in the middle of a revolution in sports nutrition. And it turns out, wait for it, whole food is always best. Always. And what's maybe most important is all the meals taste really good and they're actually filling. <laughs> You're right. It's not like I'm going to eat lunch and then eat another and lunch. And then go have a burrito? No, yeah. Well, you know, hey, an emotional support burrito is always a good call. Look, the kids at Territory, it's uh, the whole thing just works. Uh, I think it's easy to pick up your meals. They they stay fresh all week. It's just I wish that I had the ability to do this thing called meal prep. I feel like that's the same for me as walking on water where I lay out my vegetables and I cooked all my meats and I'm still stacked in little containers. That's the opposite of my personality. Stop laughing. Look, if you're a busy person that is seeking easy and super healthy meals, Territory Foods is your jam. No brainer. If you want to receive $25 off your first two orders, go to www.territoryfoods.com slash yum, as in Y-U-M, slash the ready state. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, take it for a spin and use it for the way we use it. It's just, it's like Band-Aids, emergency blanket for our meals during the week. If you pin me down and said, Kelly, who's going to dance an interpretive dance to your life? It'd be easy. No brainer. Territory Foods. Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And this is The Ready State. You got it! You better stop it! You got it! You got it! We are thrilled today to have the one and only Mike Bergner on the podcast, known by most as simply Coach B. After excelling at multiple sports in high school, Coach B headed to Notre Dame to play football. And this is where he began what was probably the most influential relationship of his life, apart from his family, weightlifting with Father Lang. He went on to get his Master of Science from University of Kentucky and was even captain in the United States Marine Corps. But Coach B's passion for Olympic lifting is what he has focused on for over 50 years as an athlete coach and probably most importantly as a mentor. He's a level five senior international weightlifting coach and heads up CrossFit's weightlifting program. He's even been named Coach of the Year by the United States Weightlifting, but maybe most importantly, he's considered family by the athletes he coaches and the people who adore him. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Ready State Podcast. Coach Bergner, we're so glad to have you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Um, just so we can just be clear, you are one of the most influential coaches in my life. And uh, I used to describe that a lot of people, you know, my relationship with you is like you are my sensei. That's how I describe you. It was like the the first real coach probably that I, I, I got involved with. And one of the one of the reasons you're so important to me is that early on you taught me, you, you basically were like, here's Olympic lifting kid. Here you go. Download this. <laughs> but also um, you were one of the first coaches I knew who could coach an Olympic level national team athlete, world athlete, 
And then on the next day, you could go and explain Olympic lifting and teach to high school kids. And one of the things that was so important for me about that was that I saw that, boy, really good coaches meant that I had to have a continuity in my thinking from, from being a, a teaching fundamental skills that would scale up to the highest levels and to be personally responsible and good enough and competent enough that I could teach kids and go work in the Olympics. So thank you for, uh, for setting that standard for me because that it has completely changed how I think about kind of common movement problems and, and how we scale this thing. You have to account for the whole cohort and you were the first person in my life to do that. So thank you. Thank you, Kelly. I appreciate those comments. Those are, those are fine words and proud words and I really take them to heart and I appreciate you saying that. Coach, could you give us a little background on how you got into weightlifting and training in the first place? Sure. I, I grew up in Southern Illinois and, you know, my dad was a, uh, a dairy farmer, owned a dairy. And, uh, uh, you know, I had this desire and dream to be a physique Charles Atlas star. You know? <laughs> I, I wanted those big muscles and uh, my dad wouldn't let me lift weights. He was he said, son, you can lift weights by shoveling, uh, you know, horse crap and cow crap and and uh, <laughs> you can shovel coal into the furnace and bale hay and that'll be your weightlifting. And then, you know, I ended up going to Notre Dame uh, and playing football there under Era Parsegian. And uh, I came into Notre Dame weighing 165 pounds and Era uh, uh, wanted me to be 185 pounds. And so he took me down to a weight room that was run and owned by a Catholic priest by the name of Father Lang. <clears throat> and Father Lang took me under his wing and taught me how to clean and press, how to snatch and how to clean and jerk. And uh, that's how I got started. And I, I fell in love with the sport and it just became, it became my off season sport uh, where we'd play football, obviously during the fall. And then after after the last game was over with, or for us, there were no bowl games. And so uh, I would go in and start my weightlifting, you know, season. And we would, as a group of young, you know, Notre Dame alumni or, or alum, Notre Dame students, we would uh, take off to different places around the Midwest and lift and weightlifting contests. So my body weight went from 165 pounds to 185 pounds and my 40 time actually went down. You know, so Era and everybody else was very pleased with the Olympic lifts and many, many more athletes, uh, you know, started doing the, the weight room as well. So Do you that's think, how it all got started. I mean, weightlifting, when we say weightlifting, what you and I mean, or what we're talking about is Olympic style weightlifting, the clean and jerk and the snatch as the competitive lifts, plus all of the skills transfer exercise movements that you would use to improve those lifts is that what, you, what we we define weightlifting coach yes yeah when you talk about weightlifting you're talking about olympic style weightlifting is what you're really talking about i mean in my world when i talk about weightlifting i'm that's that's exactly what we're talking about you you'll get a group of athletes or coaches together and we'll be talking about weightlifting exercises and everybody in that group knows that you're talking about snatch, clean and jerk and all the periphery exercises that go along with that. You've been teaching Olympic lifting to kids for a long time. And, and I, I think what's interesting is that you clearly had this experience where using Olympic style weightlifting, which for most people feels really exotic, really technical, really not accessible. And yet 
early on you established even you know that you thought in order to graduate from the high school where you taught for all those years you had to be able to be proficient in some of the basic weightlifting at age 14 that's how you passed your class why do you think olympic lifting is so important and so safe or such a, a an effective tool at building athleticism well I, I think it's just number one it's it's a ground-based activity you know and it uses all the major muscle groups in a with your feet on the ground you know you're standing up and and when you compare just about any sport that there is uh there's no other sport or no other activity that can uh, can make it very similar to explosiveness and power generation as the Olympic lifts, uh, you know, as they do. I mean, we, we love the power lifts. I love the bench, the squat, and the deadlift, and they're very necessary, I believe, and all the other movement patterns that go along with it. But, you know, the Olympic lifts are really the gymnastics of weightlifting. It's explosiveness. It's it's full range of motion. You got to have ex excellent mobility. You you have to have all those tools and those concepts there that are going to keep you safe in your other sports, and they're going to train you in a like manner. I mean, make no mistake. I'm if I want to play football and I want to get good at football, I have to I have to practice football. But I also want to train my body in an explosive manner with my feet on the ground. You know, with full range of motion activity. And to get it stronger there. And uh, there's a very strong carryover for the Olympic lifts as well as to other sports that are, you know, done in that manner. You know, one of the things that I think is a hallmark of your coaching, because I, if, I, if I have to look back at now this last 15 years of this incredible CrossFit experiment that we've been in, when I started coach, working Olympic lifting, my first exposure with, with, was with Jim Schmitz in South San Francisco. And uh, we called it Schmitzing. And then, uh, you know, and I couldn't even find Olympic lifting shoes he, anywhere. He bought some Olympic lifting shoes out of the back of uh, Jim Schmitz's trunk, like as though it was like contraband. <laughs> hey, kid. Do you want some Olympic lifting shoes? Exactly. And, and um, you know, one of the things that we've seen now is that, I mean, Olympic lifting is really prolific. And I, if I lay, I mean, what Greg did by saying that, hey, we need to become proficient at clean and jerking and, and snatching. Um, you know, I think that dovetailed directly into how you taught some of these movements. And it's interesting, even some of the most like uh, current, most progressive thinking about coordination training by a, a coach named Franz Bosch has said that, you know, we should be looking at these movements as coordination exercises and timing exercises as much as they are about just strength and, 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 and raw power. And I think you were on that so early, you know, intrinsically. And now we see that, I mean, front squatting is not a, is, is everyone front squats. It's pretty amazing. Oh, yeah. and, and you really launched a generation of coaches out of that, out of that mold. So, I mean, we, it's amazing to think about where you've come from when you started this in this community, what, I mean, we didn't know much about Olympic lifting at all. None of us didn't have the experience. We didn't have Father Lang. Where have you seen Olympic lifting go is, as in general physical preparedness, not weightlifters, but using weightlifting for sport? How have you seen that change over the last 15 years, Coach? Oh, it's just been astronomical. I mean, when you think about Oh, uh, I guess go back to 2004 and five. I mean, I was on the board of directors for USA Weightlifting. And, and of course, we we were doing everything in our power to try to get more members to come into our to our organization. And, uh, uh, you know, you're, you you were fighting 
football coaches, basketball coaches, track at, track coaches. They didn't want their they didn't want their athletes to go lift in weightlifting contests. They wanted them to lift weights, but they didn't want them to go into weightlifting contests. So the chance that they might lose that athlete. And, uh, you know, we fought that. And there might have been 3,500 members in USA weightlifting at that time. And then, uh, you know, with, with CrossFit coming on, uh, I think now there's something like 30,000 members in USA weightlifting. I mean, it's just, it's just gone bonkers. And, and I, you know, and I think it, it's been really good for me as well because I, you know, I've gone from the strict purists in Olympic style weightlifting to have to understanding why we use the Olympic lifts and how we change the, the technique patterns a little bit to accommodate that time component that CrossFit, you know, that CrossFit brings to the table. And, and for me, I, I feel like that, that I've come to grow even more so, I believe, as a coach to, and understanding that GPP aspect of, you know, what Olympic style weightlifting brings to the table for that, you know, that CrossFit athlete, as well as for the Olympic weightlifter. I mean, when I started my coaching career of Olympic style weightlifting, we snatched, we cleaned and jerked and we front squatted and we did exercises that would, you know, curtail to our weaknesses, you know, but today, I mean, I take a look at my daughter, Sage, and I mean, and she snatched, clean jerks and front squats, but boy, they do a whole lot of conditioning exercises as well, uh, pulling sleds up the driveway and, you know, all this other stuff, and it makes them better weightlifters as well. So, you know, I, I think it's just been a, it's just been an astronomical growth over the last, for me, it's been the last uh, 10 to 15 years, as you say, it's just, it's just been crazy. Coach, how did you first become CrossFit aware? And what I mean by that is, how did you hear about it? How did you, when did you first start doing it? And then when did you affiliate Mike's gym, which I know is sort of a pseudo affiliate, but you could tell us about that too. It's more like a, Mike's gym is more like a holy church. That's what we you know, Notre, Notre Dame and SoCal. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm humbled to hear you guys say that. And I appreciate it. But it, it was amazing because, you know, we had a weightlifting team called Team Southern California. And I would give USA weightlifting courses uh, at my high school, Rancho Buena Vista High School. And the money that we would make doing those courses, certifying weightlifting coaches, the money we'd make would go into our, our Team Southern California account so that we could pay kids ways to, you know, to national championships and American Opens and, and things like that. And uh, in 2005, I believe it was, Glassman called me up and asked me if I would do a course for his, for his athletes that were up at a, a box in Santa Cruz, California. And, uh, you know, and I, first of all, I asked him what a box was and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, that's the way basically it started. So he brought, he brought Greg Amerson, you know, Eva T, Nicole Carroll, Greg, you know, Buddy, Tony Buddy, and, and all these guys down to my course, along with his four dogs and, you know, everybody else. And for, for two days, we ran his athletes and there was about 20 of them. And we ran his athletes through the USA weightlifting coaching course. And, you know, he and I struck up a friendship and we, you know, Josh Everett was there with me teaching the class. And of course, at, at lunchtime, you know, he had his athletes working out and 
he had this, I, you know, he had this workout called Fran and, uh, <laughs> you know, and Greg Amundsen was going to do it. And, and Josh Everett said, well, I'd like to do that as well. And, uh, so as I recall, because this was a long time ago, but as I recall, you know, Josh ever kicked his ass. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then and then it began, you know, it became that, you know, after the course was over with, coach was talking about wanting to do certifications and getting this thing going and yada, yada, yada. And the next thing you know, uh, about three weeks later, he calls me up and he he says, we're going to do a course over in Boulder, Colorado. This guy is going to pay me $8,000 to come over and do this course for him. And it's going to be a CrossFit certification. And he said, I'd like for you to go and present three hours of information on the Olympic lifts to these guys. And I said, sure, I'll go over there. So I flew over and, and you know, I, I got up in front of 50 Highway patrolmen, Navy SEALs, Marine Force Recon guys, all these first responders. And I'm looking at this shit and I'm going, what am I going to teach these guys for three hours? And I'm going, Jesus. And I thought, well, I'm going to teach them what I know best. I'm going to teach them this warm up that I do and this, my skill transfer exercises that I do. And I'm going to teach them how to snatch and clean and jerk with a PVC pipe. And, uh, you know, basically that's what I did. I took the same information that I taught my kids and I watered it down or, you know, condensed it down to a three hour segment. And, uh, you know, I taught them the Bergner warm up, which we didn't know what it was at that time, but it was the same exercises, but we didn't have a name for it. And we taught them the skill transfer exercises and we basically did a high hang snatch and uh power snatch because no one could do an overhead squat with a PVC pipe. And, uh, and and that's basically the way it, it began. And I don't know, two weeks later, he called me back and he says, you know, that guy charged $500 for these athletes. And there was 50 there. He made $25,000 and paid me eight. So he made a profit of $17,000. And he said, I'm going to start doing this once a month up in Santa Cruz. And we're going to charge a thousand dollars and we're going to have 60 athletes there. And we want you to come back and do the same thing that you just did out in, uh, out in Boulder. And I said, great. And he says, well, how much is it going to cost me to get you here? <laughs> I said, coach, I, hell, I make $200 when I do a seminar for USA weightlifting. So pay me whatever you want. I just love doing it. And, uh, next thing you know, I go up there and, Every month I went up there and <clears throat> presented my three hours of information and, and, uh, uh, coach paid me very, very well. And, uh, you know, we did it for a full year. I made more money doing that than I'd ever made in, in my coaching career. And then, uh, the next year he says, we're going to drop it down to two days and we're going to allow you to become an SME, a subject matter expert for, uh, CrossFit. And so now we want you to do a two day seminar and you're going to work through us and we're going to advertise it for you. And, and that's basically the way that it took off. And, uh, right after that, about, I don't know, a year or so, there was a guy by the name of Dave Warner up in Seattle, Washington, that talked to coach into doing affiliates. And, uh, I can remember him and I talking and neither one of us knew what the hell an affiliate was. We all thought they were franchises and he went on and explained 
what his idea was. And, uh, and this was all done through Dave Warner at, I think at CrossFit North with that idea. And he asked me if I wanted to be an affiliate with Mike's gym. And, uh, I laughed and I thought, well, I guess, I mean, how much is it going to cost me? And he said, it's not going to cost you anything. So he, he kind of grandfathered me in on this thing. And it, I was, a, I think I was the fifth affiliate. And then later on, he said, well, CrossFit HQ needs to be number one. So I got, I got backtracked. You, know, <laughs> you, you were pushed down to number six. And, you know, as far as, you know, scheduling and everything, I was a six affiliate in, uh, in the United States for, you know, for CrossFit. And let me just jump in and say, I think you were. And that's, the- that's basically the way it got all, it all got started. It was just, uh, I mean, hell, no one knew what the hell they were doing. I mean, I got paid by every, every six signups. Uh, Lauren Glasswood would send me a check and I was 1099. She'd send me a check for a thousand bucks or so. And I just throw it in the bank and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I just throw it in my regular bank account. And then, then all of a sudden, you know, I got my 1099 at the end of the year and I got crapped in my pants. <laughs> did, did Mrs. Bergner just, appreciate that she had married a genius and that you would just be rolling in the, the Olympic lifting cash. <laughs> <laughs> she, she married a PE super coach, Olympic lifter. Coach, for those who have never been there, like Kelly and I have been fortunate enough to, can you explain to us what Mike's gym is like? <laughs> Help us get a visual image of it. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I'll, I'll give it to you in my eyes how I see it, right? I mean, it's. It's a two-car garage that has got four eight-by-eight platforms in the middle of it, and uh, uh, with as many, probably too many Olympic bars and bumper plates uh, that are needed, and then uh, along with dumbbells that go up to a hundred pounds, and all kinds of Olympic weightlifting shoes and memorabilia, and uh, and then in the outside area, which we covered and there's more cardiovascular stuff with you know the concept two rowers and skiers and and bikes and so on and so forth along with medicine balls and what have you and that uh that's always been there but you know prior to crossfit none of the you know i mean i had a schwinn airdyne or something like that because weightlifters at that time didn't doing cardio for them was like a no-no you know you just wouldn't (laughs) You wouldn't even think about doing that. So, I mean, you know, so I, I'm very proud of it. I think it's just a, a, a very functional gym. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 it suits my needs just fine. And, but it is fun for me to see people come up here from all over the world. And, and uh, you know, all of a sudden, you know, they, they're here at Mike's gym and they want pictures made of it and, uh, so on and so forth, and it's, it's just a two-car garage is all it is to me with four weight it, it is a special, special place. <laughs> Even more special is the hill up to your <laughs> up to your driveway, which has broken a better, stronger athlete than myself. Let me ask you this. One of the things that I think is so remarkable about you as a coach and as the seed and the root for this incredible network of Olympic lifting coaches and people who think about using Olympic lifting is that you have always continued to train. You've always been working out. Who are the geezers? <laughs> and what is that about? Oh, the geezers. Man, I'll tell you what. It's, the geezers are just a bunch of, started out with a bunch of my buddies. You know, we wanted to 
start working out. And, you know, I started with two guys, myself and another guy would come over. He's a retired male neontologist and he wanted to get in shape. And so I always worked out in the gym and, but uh, he came over. Then the next thing you know, we got two or three more guys that wanted to join. And uh, lo and behold, there's about 10 or 15 of us now. And we've categorized ourselves as to different levels of geezerhood and, uh, and a geezer that, uh, you know, somebody, an old guy that's 50 to 59 is a geezer in training. We haven't, we haven't, <laughs> we haven't yet given him. GIT. The, yeah. We haven't given him the distinction of being a geezer yet, but if you're 60 to 64, you are now in the geezer ranks and 65 to 69, you're a super geezer. And then if you're 70 to 74, which is where I am, I get to name the group. So you're a super stud geezer, right? <laughs> and, and then if you're 75 plus, then you're a day-to-day geezer. <laughs> do, you, do you feel like this is a throwback to the fact that there used to be in your life so prominently weight classes and now there's just geezer classes? <laughs> uh, well, I hadn't thought of a bell like that, but I, I am going to start – saying that for now <laughs> all, all because of you kelly Starrett. so there you go well we, you know, we have classes of geese yeah? i i just i want to just gush a little more because i i feel like <laughs> you, one there's a couple things that i want people to know about the way you coached and how important that was in my own experience and and evolve and evolution as a coach but also the internet has has confused people very much about programming and coaching and <laughs> I mean, we quote you all the time when the, you know, when you see someone is local and the frying pan is hot, you know, you cook, you know, and one of the things that I think is so important about your coaching model is that I have never seen you not in a room coaching your ass off versus I think that there's a lot of people who are kind of maybe have drifted in from training, but the role of the coach as really working hard in the room, you work as hard and are as focused as anyone else in the room. Do you think that that is, um, is that a function of having to teach 14 year olds how to snatch at a high school or being a Marine? Like what is it about that you figured out that the best way to get out of the, a big group of people or a group of young athletes was to work your ass off? Well, I, I had great mentors, you know I mean? My, my first mentor, it was father Lang, obviously. I mean, he was, he was the guy that taught me more about, you know, strength and conditioning, but he also taught me a hell of a lot on how to deal with people and to deal with athletes. And, uh, and, and then my, my other mentor was Eric Parsegian. I mean, he was the coach at Notre Dame, the football coach at Notre Dame. And, and I just basically watched him coach and, and, you know, saw that fundamentals and, and discipline, uh, you know, were extremely, you know, extremely important. And, and the fundamentals that we worked on every single day. I mean, out of a two-hour practice of football, we worked fundamentals every single day. And, and basically the same fundamentals that were going to take us to the next level and become a better, better football player and a better team. And then I'd finally say that the Marine Corps taught me how to deal with, you know, having a presence of being able to get up in front of a group and 
and own the group, you know, own own the group in such a way that they're going to be able to listen and focus on what you're saying. So you you have to have the bearing as a coach to be able to to teach fundamentals, to teach them very simply. You have to keep it simple for them and something that's very achievable. And you got to hold them accountable to be able to do this on a daily basis. And I think all of that, you know, in, in my upbringing, you know, with my father and his discipline and, and Father Lang's mentorship and Eric Parsegian's mentorship and then on to, on to Notre, you know, on to the Marine Corps and, you know, becoming a Marine officer and learning how to deal with people, you know, I mean, and, and troops and in a very hazardous occupation. So, it, and then finally, I would say that my kids, my students, you know, I mean, dealing with 14 to 18 year olds is a challenge. And, and I never ever put myself above them, but I will tell you that those are the, those are the people that taught me how to teach and how to keep it real simple. And, uh, you know, if I tried to go out of the line and get a little bit more complicated, then, you know, they would bring me back in and say, coach, keep it simple. Talk to us. So we understand what you're saying. And, uh, and I just followed that pattern, you know, throughout my career. And I think it's, it's done very, very well. You know, it's, um, it's been there for me. And I feel like that I can teach anybody how to snatch and clean and jerk, except, you know, maybe, maybe not Kelly Starrett, but I mean, everybody else I can. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you can teach the bear how to snatch. That bear, yeah. <laughs> Coach, you, um, one of the things that I, is a hallmark of your coaching is how generous you are with your time. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, Juliet and I were, you know, she, she was an attorney. I was a young physio student. I hadn't even graduated from physical therapy school. And you would let me come down and shadow an assistant coach and help you. I would pay my way down, sleep on Carla's couch. And then you were generous to, to say, hey, kid, watch, pay attention, soak everything up. And, you know, I don't feel like, I feel like today there's less of a need or less of a drive for young coaches to go shadow and be mentored by our masters. I feel like there's mastery has sort of been diluted a little bit, even though the masters still exist. And then the second thing was just how open you were about saying, if you want to come, come and I'll teach you everything I know. How did you come to that understanding? Was that because you, you came out of the poverty of weightlifting and everything was, <laughs> was shared and friendly? Because that was really, that was an important experience for me and still drives what we tell everyone today. Come to the gym, come hang out. We'll, we'll, we'll give you as much as we can give you, especially if you make the effort to show up in person. But that, that thing is rare and that was really an important lesson for me. Yeah, I, well, thank you for saying that. I, you know, it's, it's like... I don't even know how to explain it. I, I think my wife and I, you know, when, when we took on the realm of being, you know, parents and, and having kids and, and having kids, our kids, friends come over to the house and so on and so forth. We felt very blessed to be able to do the things that we wanted to do. And, you know, I mean, I was a coach. I was a school teacher. She was too. We had to pass a hat to get a cold beer for God's sake, but we just didn't feel like that it was necessary for us to charge people for our expertise because we were just two people that loved doing what we did. I mean, my wife was the boss in the house and I was the boss in the gym and my kids listened to me in the gym and they'd listen to her in the house and we supported each other. And we invited anybody and everybody to come to our home and, and be part of that. And we would share with them everything that we 
that we had. And uh, uh, I think that's the way I was raised. And I feel very strongly towards that. And I mean, even today when people come up here, they don't, we don't charge them anything. And on our internet presence, we have free programming for everybody. And, you know, now that I'm retired and I got more time and I'll take a look at videos for people. And it's just, you know, I, I say, they always tell me they're very thankful for what I do for them. But on the same tone, I'm very thankful for being able to do it, you know, and, uh, um, I always joke around with them. I say, look, my wife is a yard Nazi and I hate working in the yard. So if you will send me videos, it keeps me out of the yard work. So, uh, <laughs> you know, so yeah, that's not, not really the case, but you know, people are, they're very, you know, people are very friendly towards it and they don't want to, they don't want to go out of their way to, you know, you know, pick my brain about stuff, but I, that's just something I enjoy doing it. So, you know, as, as much as it's good for them, it's good for me too. You know, it's a, it's a, you know, you, you win, it's a win-win for everybody because I get to coach, I get to explain things. And if I'm getting too complicated, which hardly ever happens, then, you know, then I can also try to change and find out ways that are going to help this person understand what I'm talking about. So we feel very blessed to be able to do that. Coach, I have a two-part question, and neither part is related to the other. But the first is, when you were working out with the geezers, what um, can you give us sort of a, a sample of what your workouts look like? And then Kelly specifically wanted me to ask you, what is Skull Crusher Coffee? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let me let me take the, the easy one first. And that, <laughs> that's Kelly's question. All right, so Eva T., and Rutman, Mike Rutherford, came to, I think they came to visit me at a, for a course or some CrossFit of something that was going on in San Diego. So they came to the house and they stayed with us. And in the morning, I always, I'd make my, my coffee. Well, being a, a good Marine, I like my coffee strong. And, uh, <laughs> and these guys, they'd see me make this coffee. Well, my scoops of coffee were the ice cream dipper, you know, so <laughs> I, I would use the ice cream dipper to measure my coffee. And these guys, they took, they, they had a cup of my coffee and I don't think they slept for a week after that, you know, so, was, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. And so that, that's the kind of coffee I was raised on because, you know, we had to put 24 hour days in. And so we had drink that kind of coffee in the Marine Corps. So, you know, I mean, it was, it was, they always referred it to a skull, you know, the skull crusher coffee. And, you know, and I, it took me a week or two to figure out what the hell they were talking about, but it's, uh, <laughs> that's what it was. You're like, this and, is uh, just normal for me. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just, it's just, this normal. Now being a geezer, Julia, what was the other question? I forgot. Well, I just wanted to know what your workouts look like. What, what are you guys doing together? Oh, that's interesting because we have we have great workouts, right? We have a warm up, and the warm up is a, a hundred calorie buy in. They have to do uh, you have to do a hundred calories on the bike, the skier, or the rower, um, and then they have to do like yesterday. Our workout was a hundred calorie buy in, and we did uh, three minutes of planks. You know, you have to do a um, uh, you know the regular plank hold for three minutes. Uh, and you can do that any way you want. I mean, it's it's kind of like uh, uh, self-scaling. Like I can do about two minutes and 30 seconds before I start going into that 
analytic shock, you know, where I start shaking <laughs> all over the place. And then, so, you know, I'll, I'll do it for two minutes and 30 seconds and then shake everywhere. Then, then all of a sudden I'll sometime in the next 45, 50 seconds, I'll do the other 30 seconds. But then we do that. And then finally the, uh, the part of the end of the warm up is that we have to do 50 evil wheels and evil wheels is where you, 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 know, you get on your knees and you roll it out and, and, uh, you know, and again, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things you go at the level that you can go to. I can, luckily for me, I can go down and touch my nose to the ground on each one of those. You oh, know, you think, other- you think that's luck? <laughs> you're in your seventies coach. This is, you're doing 50 rollouts with the evil wheel. And this is still part of the warm up of the geezers. Is that right? That's correct. That's is that why I'm not even a geezer in training yet? <laughs> <laughs> well, they don't now. This is the thing. They have to get that accomplished before they start the workout, but it, does, <laughs> it doesn't have to all be at the same time. I mean, if they have to rest, then, you know, then that's one of the things that, that we encourage them to do, you know, and, and of course I'm here. And so if I'm going to be a, a leader, I need to be a leader by example. So I try to work hard for them to see, you know, see that, Hey, the guy's almost 73 now and he can still do this stuff. So I'm going to, I'm going to work as hard as I can as well, you know, and, and we have guys that work really hard and we have guys that, you know, that don't work really hard, but we just, we do what we have to do. And then, so that's the warm up, And then, and then the next part of the workout is, is that, for an example, yesterday, and that's what I'm giving you, is that they have to do 300 repetitions. And the repetitions can be any repetition that they want. It can be 100 abs. It can do 100 sit-ups. It can be 100 ball slams. It can be 25 ball slams, 25 kettlebell swings, 25 uh, squats. It doesn't matter, but all the reps got to equal 300. And, and we want them to do it as fast as they can, but – we're not timing it. You know, there's, there are workouts where we'll do a Cindy five, 10 and 15, and they get to choose the exercises. It's not going to be five pull-ups, 10 push-ups, 15 squats. It might be five over the shoulder sandbags or five burpees, but it is five, 10, 15. And, and for as many rounds as you can get for 20 minutes. And that's a, that's a butt kicker for them. But when they're doing 300 reps, they get to choose the you know, they get to choose the, the exercises that they want to do. And then at the end, then uh, towards the end, then, you know, the last thing they do is they do 200 calories of intervals. Like yesterday's workout, they had to do 10, 10 calorie sprints followed by a 10 calorie rest row or bike, you know, nice and easy. And they had to do that 20 times. And that would be the end of the workout. Coach, so, I think we're going to uh, try this in our garage and then report back about how terrible we call, we are. We've, we've ripped you off, Coach. It's called the Star at Home Health Center. Um, check Sorry, this. wait. He, he, they still are doing – he wasn't done. Oh. They're still doing more things. Oh, carry on. No, no, that's right. That that would be the end of – they would do the um, – you know, they do the 200 calories of intervals and then, you know, we have them do a little stretching and stuff like that. But most of the time they just sit around and, you know, bullshit and give each other a hard time. Or or if somebody has brought a little bit of bourbon to try, we might drink a couple shots of bourbon just to kind of solidify the workout. You know, so that's this is this is next level genius thinking right here. <laughs> Um, one of the things that I really hear in, and I, I, you know, I have had the good fortune of being coached by you and working out with you and being trained by you and is that you really respect and aren't precious about working hard. Um, you know, 
one of the things that I think you used to make your kids do just in high school, even before you started, was it was 50 overhead squats with a PVC pipe. Just right. That was just buy-in every day. Right. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that you grew up on a dairy farm around a dairy farm working, and that just made a really robust human. And you, and you don't have to be, and your dad was sort of right. You know, like it doesn't, you know, lifting weights is going to be good someday, but let's go do some work right now. We have seen in our kid development, certainly watching the sort of next generation of youth come in, I feel like you were at this really interesting place. And I know you're not actively teaching high school now, but did you see a change in kids, you know, from when you started teaching in terms of just readiness to now? Because you have a really simple approach to just, hey, we're going to get some work done. And that work can be varied and it can be self-selective and self-scaled, but we're still going to get a lot of work done. You know, that work has always been the bottom of what you has made your athletes really successful. And people who trained underneath you, like we just are, we're all just a little bit more competent and fit than, you know, super specialists for say. Did you see a change in kids over your course of being a, uh, in terms of preparation as your course of being a teacher? You know, I, I will tell you that, you know, luckily for me, I started teaching it, you know, back in the seventies. And, and so, um, I'll tell you a great story, but do you know, um, and this does answer your question somewhat, but do you know uh, uh, the American Gladiators? Oh, yeah. You, you remember that show? And of there, course. There was, there was a guy on the show named Turbo. Yes. Yes. Uh, well, Tur- Turbo's, Turbo, I won't give you his real name, but he, he Turbo lives about a quarter of a mile from me. And, uh, uh, and I taught Turbo in high school. Now, in 1975, I got out of the Marine Corps. My first teaching job was at Fallbrook High School. And Turbo comes walking into my room as a ninth grader. And and he was a stud. I mean, this kid was a stud. But he made some freaking remark to me that was inappropriate. And, uh, and so I took a U.S. history book and hit him right between the eyes with it. And it, it was like he went down like a two by four. Right. Right. And he got back up and he was stunned a little bit. And uh, he went to sit in his chair and and he was the best student that I ever had after that. And but the next day, Turbo's dad called me and thanked me for, you know, the discipline of his kid because he was having a hard time with his with his son and his behavior. And he said that all of a sudden he came home and he said he was a different person. And to this day, Turbo uh, tells everybody, and he's he's in his 60s now, but he tells everybody that I was the best teacher that he ever had. Now, you can't you can't do that today. And, you know, for me, I I was other than that time, I almost got fired for that, by the way. But, uh, you know, (laughs) it's really reasonable. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, I had to I had my come to Jesus meeting as well that yeah, it's not the Marine Corps. I was fresh out of the Marine Corps. I was a captain in the Marine Corps and I was coming in here and I was going to deal with my troops who were these <laughs> high school kids. And that was my attitude. So, you know, I mean, that, I had to make an attitude adjustment right off the bat, but Turbo made an attitude adjustment as well. And so did everybody in that classroom in that you don't mess with Coach B type of attitude adjustment. And in it, I just come to believe that for me, it became leadership by example in my classrooms and in my teachings 
And I never asked my kids to do anything that I wouldn't do. And yeah, I, I didn't have hands on like I did in the Marine Corps, but I had to learn to deal with that kind of stuff. And and I had I gave motivational consequences. I can remember giving kids in a history class push ups. And it was okay for me to give them push-ups as long as I did the push-ups with them. And I did. Every time I gave a kid a push-up, I did the push-up with them. And so the parents at that time in the in the mid-70s enjoyed that kind of discipline and and behavior, you know, making sure that the kids behaved appropriately. They enjoyed that. Now today, you can't do that. But I will tell you, I did that kind of motivational consequences all the way up until 2008 when I retired. And what's amazing to me is that the phone calls or Facebook messages or Instagram messages that I get from kids in the past that tell me, you know, I was scared to death of you, coach, you know, and I, I hated you because you made us do all this stuff. But I'll tell you, I am so glad that I had you for a teacher and, and you, what you taught me about discipline and self-respect and, the things that I can do when I didn't think I could do just made a difference in my life. So, yeah, I, I just today you can't do that. I think it's too bad. But I think the big thing is, is that in my world, I try to lead by example and I try to never ask my kids or anybody else, even my family. I never ask them to do something that I wouldn't do first. So th- this is a perfect tie into a really good last question, and that is. Let's just turn the wheel back 15 years. What did we get right? What did we get wrong? What would you tell yourself as a as Olympic lifting coach coming into this community and this sort of crazy revolution that was this CrossFit expansion, this CrossFit experiment? What would you what would you go back and tell yourself 15 years ago? I initially the whole purpose for me even being involved in this was to be able to see CrossFit the way it has had an effect on Olympic style weightlifting. I I believe that we're way ahead of schedule than even what I anticipated back in 2005 and 2006. I can remember being, being on the board of directors of weightlifting and coming in and saying, guys, you got to take a look at this, this Greg Glassman. I mean, Greg Glassman has got this black box theory, you know, and the whole black box was, you know, the idea of having a hundred workouts in a black box and picking up one of those workouts. And, and it's like, Oh my God, this is what's going to bring weightlifting out of the, the dull ages. You know, we're going to get more people into our sport. And there wasn't one guy in USA weightlifting that believed me. And they, and they all thought I was crazy because it would be something that you can't, you can't do this. You're going to ruin your career in weightlifting. And, uh, I had this feeling that CrossFit was going to be because like the Bergeners and like the Starettes, we have a gym. My kids were in the gym because mom and dad were in the gym. Mom and dad led by example. And the kids come in because they want to be with all the other people that are in the gym. And you guys are the same way. And I, I think that's what I saw happening. And I didn't think it would happen this quickly, but it did. And so those are the things that I think that we did really right is being able to let our egos go and seeing how, you know, even the purest Bergner, who's the strictly Olympic weightlifting, can still be the purest, but use other means and other avenues to get that purest effect even better than they are, than they were just being strictly purest. And, and 
I think it's just being open-minded and, and not being afraid to, to look different ways and different, take on different challenges and whatever it takes to get it done. Don't be afraid to, to make changes to do it. Amazing. Well, I know that my girls would thank you for all the overhead squats to make them do. <laughs> and uh, when Georgia came out playing goal the other day in, uh, in water polo and just levitated straight out of the water to her hips and people were like, how'd she do that? I was like, well, she front squats. There you and, go, uh, and I, and I will just lay that fully at your feet, sir. Well, coach, B, it's such yeah. a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Oh, we're so grateful coach. You're the best. And, and thank you so much. Best to your family and especially mama B. Uh, thank you guys. I appreciate you letting me be on. Thank you for listening to The Ready State. If you like what you're hearing, check out all of our episodes here or at mobilitywad.com. The Ready State is the podcast of mobilitywad.com, where we've assembled the world's most comprehensive database of guided movement mechanics and mobility videos all with the goal to help improve performance and eliminate pain. Each motivated by the simple idea that all human beings should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under MobilityWOD. That's W-O-D as in workout of the day. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it. You Kelly Starrett is a New York Times bestselling author of Becoming a Supple Leopard and Ready to Run. He's a coach, a physical therapist, an athlete, and an innovator who works with elite athletes as well as everyday people who just want to be healthier and happier in their lives. Juliette Starrett is a co-founder and CEO of both San Francisco CrossFit and Mobility Wad, co-founder of StandUpKids.org, a writer, an entrepreneur, and a world champion athlete. Our theme music was provided by Rogue Wave. You got it! You better stop it!